Sessions with Mary Jane. We are delighted to have our amazing guest, Keith Ross Nelson, joining us. Uh, how are you, Keith? I'm good, man. Thanks, how is, thanks for having me. Yeah. Um, how's your day going? Um, pretty good day. I just got back from the ship two days ago, so I'm just kind of catching up with like knick-knack crap I got to do. Yeah, yeah. A lot of knick-knack stuff on a Monday, for sure. Or wait, what yeah. day is this day? Today is Monday, right? Yeah, today is <laughs> Losing my marbles. Um, yes, it is I, Rena, and also Brendan O'Brien is on the podcast. Um, before we dive deep into the conversation, I just want to get the challenge out of the way so uh, Keith knows what it is. You are going I to. Hope it I hope it isn't fighting the Irish coming. Say that again? Uh, that's right. That's the challenge. You have to fight me virtually. Oh. <laughs> no, no uh, physical violence uh, needed. <laughs> no fighting virtually. Uh, everyone just gets a different uh, list, a different challenge every episode. We do through the length of the episode. You can shout out things anytime, interrupt at any time. It's just a fun thing we do on the side. Um, so okay. for you, since you are Keith Russ Nelson, you have right. to name as many three named celebrities as you can. Oh, shoot. <laughs> okay, well, does John Wilkes Booth count? That counts. That absolutely yes, counts. I love how that was your first one. You, you know what? He would definitely be a celebrity nowadays because now that kind of stuff. Mark David Chapman. So mm -hmm. it's, all, it's all guys that killed somebody. But now, the reason, by the way, the reason I used the three names is because there was another guy named Keith Nelson who was a terrible comic, sad to say, and he was killing me on booking. So that's, my name when I was born was Keith Ross because my uh, dad, David Ross, was actually the son, and then I'm the great-grandson, or great-great, how many greats you go down, of Betsy Ross who made the flag. Wow, so, that's wicked. Yeah, I, I haven't seen any money, so... It's not that wicked. <laughs> That's yeah. cool. Yeah, so, and then my second dad adopted me to make me a Nelson, and he was a Swedish guy with blonde hair and blue eyes, and I have two brothers and sisters with blonde hair and blue eyes, so, of course, the, all the questions growing up was, where did this guy come from? So, <laughs> it just went, it went from a dad leaving my mom uh, and famous relatives to a dad with blonde hair blue-eyed kids. So, anyway, anyway, that's how you get to Keith Ross Nelson. I love that. I was curious, so you already read there's, my mind. There's the, there's the long version of the short story. <laughs> we appreciate the uh, the context. Um, okay, and so I you... To, sorry, go ahead. Like John, John Wilkes Booth and Mark David Chapman. I haven't shot anybody yet, so there you go. <laughs> good, good. Record clear. Um, had, great. Had a, gun, had a gun pointed at me twice, but I haven't shot anybody myself, so... Oh, wait, hold the phone. We're definitely going to have to dive into that story. Hold on. Um, well, before... Two stories, <laughs> Okay, yes, definitely want to hear both those stories. Um, before we do that, to give people an introduction, in case they don't know who you are, but you have a huge following on social media, you've been around for a while. Um, yeah. You're a stand-up comedian, also actor, director, writer. What is the... Uh, how would you describe your everything um, that is encompassing? I, I really can't do anything right so i just try a little bit of everything and hope something goes right <laughs> <laughs> yeah it makes sense yeah that's good yeah keep hey 
you just keep trying till something hits the wall and sticks, right? Yep. Yes, exactly. Um, take us uh, to the beginning, if you will. How did you get into entertainment in general, or what, like comedy specifically, is the avenue you wanted uh, to go down? So I went to college, and when I was in college, you know, you'd go to those lectures in the big lecture halls where they're 90 minutes, and there was just torture. Um, so I started kind of cracking jokes during the lecture, not making fun of the guy, but just whatever he was talking about. Um, and then one of my friends goes, man, you should try stand up. So that's how that, it, it went from just trying something as a goof mm. to like, Oh, I like this and then change of plans. kind of. That's very, that's. I, I love how it stems from usually school or education or something you're yeah. doing that also many people who've heard stories when they're getting into comedy, it was always like an offhand thing. It was like, Oh, I did this thing. There's somebody else who was like, Hey, you have a knack for this. You should yeah. try it. You should look into it. Yeah. And, but you know, in the beginning you don't think much of yeah. it. Or how wrong, or how wrong other people could be when they say you have a knack for this and then steering you in a completely wrong direction when you were on the right path. <laughs> also true. Also very balanced. <laughs> yes. Um, who, who were some of your early uh, influences? Um, That's a really interesting question because it must have already been I remember when I was a really little kid, like four or five, seeing a couple comedians on Ed Sullivan. That's how old I am. This is like in the mid sixties. Um, I remember seeing the Beatles and then seeing like, uh, I think it was Jackie Gale and then Jackie Leonard. These are like famous comics from the fifties and sixties. And then Carlin, I saw these guys and I'm like, this like it seems like a really cool thing to do, and I remember the Jackie Gale thing really sticks with me because he did this thing that was really interesting. He came out and he pretended like he was showing a slideshow, and then he would make that sound, you know, that clicking sound when you change the slide, and you really believe you're watching the slideshow, and then he would describe the slide, you know, uh, here something about. Uh, Here's my family on vacation in Florida. Click. Here's my dad walking through uh, the swamp. Here's my dad's hat. Here's my dad in the quicksand. Here's my dad's hat on the top of the quicksand. Something like that. But his timing was like, uh, hold on, we're, hold on a minute. Hey, you wanna say hi? Those are, oh, your black oh, cat. Oh, I also have a cat. One of 33. I'm sorry, 33 cats? <laughs> what? <laughs> okay, what's that one? You guys, want, you guys want a tour? Yes. <laughs> okay, hold on. Okay, Paul. Hold on. Watch this. Do you Take live care. at a shelter? What is happening? No, we are a shelter. We, we're not, but uh, that's one of the jokes in my act. Okay, so Hi, baby. Okay, that one's gonna hide. Here you go. Hi there, Peter. 
listeners at home the, or wherever you're listening, he, we are indeed seeing an array There's of There's Mr. Ruski. Mr. Darcy, you want to say hi? Say hi, Mr. Darcy. There you go. Do you have a favorite? I know people like to like choose like a favorite among their children or their pets. But do you have Snickers. A say hi, Snickers. Yeah. Do you have a favorite? You have a favorite cat? Oh yeah, the one, the first one, Bo Jackson. <laughs> Definitely. Black that guy. Nice. Anyway, there's more. <laughs> I, how, how, how do you have these many? Why, why do you have these many? They're all, they're almost, they're almost all feral people. We live on horse property in California. These people, they leave their animals. They just move and then they leave them. And my wife's a nurse. And so she just, we just kind of started collecting them. And uh, anyway. Oh, interesting. So do you g- give them off to if people adopt them, or do you like? No, they're ours. Wow. And there's four more. There's four more in front outside. And there's two in back that we need. So it's it, it, it's actually around forty if you count inside now. That's impressive. <laughs> I don't think I know anybody who has that many cats or that many it's anything pretty, for it's animals. Crazy, yeah. Yeah. Well, so you're well, never alone. <laughs> no, no. That guy, the one I show you, the first one, you know, when I first get home from a boat trip, if I've gone one or two weeks, I come home, and it takes them maybe a half an hour to an hour for the other ones to adjust because they go and smell. And sometimes they forget, you know. Uh, that one, as soon as I'm in the door, he's on me. And then he follows me everywhere. And everywhere I sit, he gets in my life. I mean, he's so glad I'm home. That's it. That's cute. Aww. Yeah. So, yeah, they're great pets. They're amazing animals. People don't understand. They, um, when they purr, their purring lines up with a frequency inside of your body that actually extends your life. And when they sleep next to you at night, they take on all your stress. They absorb it on themselves. That's why they like to sleep like 16 hours a day. Wow. Yeah. Never so knew that. Very, That's fascinating. Great pet to have for your, you know, mental health. Yeah. Did you That's why I got one? one. That's why I recently got yeah. a cat. <laughs> I love her. I'm sorry. What were you going to say? Uh, did you have any pets when you were a kid? Yeah, I had a black cat named Aki. And here's the weird thing. He was almost like this cat. He, you can imagine a dog doing this, but imagine a cat following you to the bus stop and then standing there watching the bus leave and you see him running back home two blocks every day. Wow. A cat. Now that must have been a special bond. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. Oh, yeah. I guess I I got pretty good bonds with uh, cats. Do you feel like your personality like it's similar to theirs, or do you feel like maybe it's like the opposite, and like you like the the void that the cat fills? Say that again. What was the beginning? Do you feel like like you your personality is similar to a lot of cat personalities, or do you feel like it's like the opposite, where like they're like very different from you, and they like are kind of like think... the cat? <laughs> wow, that's an interesting. Here's the interesting thing. Um. I always, I always have to preface it with my wife. There's, you know, like they say, before Christ and after Christ. Mm. It's like before my wife and after my wife. And this is my second, but I got it right with her. I feel like 
okay, I did this crazy life before with all these toxic people. Then I met her and I go, oh, this is the way it's supposed to be. So that was the first, like, kind of uh, screw that fit. And then I started doing Kung Fu in 2010. And that was the second screw. And the third one was the cats. The cats, the cats really, Kung Fu and the cats have really mellowed me out. Mm. Before I was really wired, very intense. Yeah. So what what got you into trying Kung Fu for the first time? Um, Well, I was an athlete before, so I played all these sports before, and I always wanted to do it, but I was always doing something else like track or basketball or something. And then finally I said, you know, you're getting old, man. you got to do either do this or not. And so uh, I got lucky. The class I signed up for, it was really a good school. So and it fit what I needed because it wasn't, you know, sign this waiver and they'll see how many teeth we can knock out of each other. It was more that kung fu like the show in the 70s, you know, very, you know, Train everything slow, do it over and over. From you know, slowness comes speed, from softness comes strength. So it was good for me because uh, I got faster and faster, but it also I got more patient and more patient and more patient. So now, like, even when I get mad now, I feel it coming up, and then I'm like, huh, and then you know, you just let it go. Yeah, so it's a good thing because part of self defense is if you don't get mad or if you're not there then there's no fight. Mm. So now, kind of, like, when I see trouble starting, I'm just like, I'm just going to leave. Yeah. <laughs> you know? What you learned about Kung Fu, has that helped you in the stand-up comedy world? Yeah. Now? Yeah, because it, it's chilled me out. The space between doing a joke or the space between talking to somebody, uh, I don't, you, you know, you don't hear the silence. So when you don't fear the silence, the audience doesn't fear the silence. I mean, not that I'm looking for silence up there. Obviously, da-da-da-da-da, punchline, then they're supposed to laugh. But like if you're talking to them or somewhere, they get silent. Sometimes you can get a, <clears throat> you can get a laugh off of not saying anything at all, just quiet. So that all kind of, you know, it's the same thing with acting, you know, like, you know, Oh, remember the line, remember the line. No, it's not the line. It's like, you know, what happens between the lines. That's what good acting is. So kind of kind of like that. Because no matter how good, Kung Fu and acting are really similar because no matter how good you get it either, you're never going to get it perfected. Because if I teach you like an animal technique, there's 5,000 derivatives of that animal technique. It's, it's like if I say, like in acting, like I say, the line was, where, you're like my girlfriend or something. And I say, where were you last night? Well, I can say, where were you last night? You know, and it's like very light, you know. I can say, where were you last night? That has a different tone. Now, then I say, where were you last night? Where were you last night? Those are all different, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Where were you last night? Where the fuck were you last night? So those are all different connotations. 
And, and you know, where the fuck, where the fuck were you last night? You know, see, that's totally different than where the fuck were you last night? Yeah, I, I, that's a good explanation. I like how you uh, connected the uh, the different fields you've been in and or the stuff you've learned from kung fu and equated yeah. to acting and, to, and everything you're saying about silence i didn't even think of that um and with comedy and with um i guess that also amps up your listening or being more in the moment and being patient with things and picking up on stuff that yes you seem like you have a thought <laughs> yeah what you're saying is it's um here's another thing because you know, in our technique, we, it's, there's 74 animals and you've got to learn them on both sides of your body. So obviously there's actually, you know, 148 mm-hmm. and we have about 40 forms, you know, which are more animals connected to other animals. Mm-hmm. It's, they're each last about a minute. So, you know, when you go in there, you go, oh, God, I got to learn all this stuff. It's overwhelming. And then, you know, by the time, um, in three years, you learn all your animals and you learn about 12 of the forms. And then by your, by your eighth or ninth year, you learn, you're up to about 25 forms. I'm at about 35 now. So I got about five or six more to learn and I'm a third degree black belt. But the crazy thing is I went in there and I'm just like, okay, if I can get the black belt, that would be the coolest thing. And then I got there, but I just kept showing up. And then eventually I got to third. So the, I think the coolest thing is, because every time I start a new form, I go, oh, and you got to do it. You know, you learn it piece by piece and it takes a while and then you got to practice it. And then it takes a lot of practice to get it better. So that comes in really handy. Uh, once you, here's another similar thing to acting, like directing and kung fu. If you, think of it as the whole this system it's overwhelming you just go just forget this is crazy but if you take it one piece at a time like directing okay i've got 120 page script i'm going to do two pages a day and then you take the two pages and it takes you all day okay i got that done now i go to the next thing it's like that same uh a thousand steps begins with the first step that's the best description of Kung Fu because it's like now, like if I go, well, I want to learn to play the guitar. Well, that's overwhelming. But see, I already did this thing over here that's overwhelming. So it's like, okay, let's, this is going to suck for a while. I'm going to be a white belt again in guitar playing. Then eventually I'm going to be a red belt, but eventually I'm going to be a black belt. And then you just, let's start building the blocks. Right, right. Right, yeah, and you build from there. That's so important. That's so important because people now want everything, you know, like TikTok, 30 seconds. Uh, I want to be famous. Well, it's kind of crazy the way that kind of stuff over there works because most of life isn't like that. If you want to be good at something, then it takes a long, you know, that whole thing, 10,000 hours. It's really true. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, definitely a lot of things with social media has not resembled reality. Um, I like that you brought that up because you've been a, you have a long career. You've been around for a while. What are some of the significant changes, whether good or bad, that you've seen in the comedy world, in the acting world, in the directing world? 
so in the comedy world, what's good is the guys that are good are better than the guys that came like Dave Chappelle. Like people always talk about Carmen Pryor Rock. Now Rock is my favorite, mm. but if you want to look at somebody, you go, "Wow, Dave Chappelle." I mean, Carmen's probably the most prolific and maybe the best comic of all time. I mean, he's got, I don't know, he's got ten HBO specials. They're all an hour. They're all really good. You could argue with forget what he did off stage and the sexual stuff. And the guy should obviously be locked up for the rest of his life. But you can't deny the fact that he did 25 comedy albums because that's an hour, that's 25. That means he could get up when you get up at 8 in the morning, start doing comedy, and when you get up the next day, he can still go another hour. Hmm. That's a lot of material. That's true. That is a lot of material. So Chappelle, you know, Chappelle is like, I don't know, man, but he's so relaxed up there. And he's so, I don't think I've ever seen somebody that relaxed that still kills. Usually when somebody's that relaxed, it's like Stephen Wright, you know, and it's clever lines. And uh, like, if you watch him on TV, six minutes of Stephen Wright, it's fantastic. It's just brilliant. But to watch him do that for 45 minutes, you know, that monotone, you know, just doing, you know, like, like, uh, like, what's a joke he does? Uh, um, I'm trying to think of a Stephen Wright joke. I, I don't know. He, I have a joke similar. I, uh, I, uh, I broke a mirror. They told me it's seven years bad luck. Fortunately, it was a car mirror. So all my luck just appears closer than it really is. <laughs> right? That's like a, just a clever one-liner. And that's, that's all he does is just clever one-liners. There's no... He's not going to talk about history for 10 minutes and then, you know, shred history or smokers. He's going to do one smoking joke and then the next joke is going to be about something completely different. Well, to watch that for 45 minutes would be torture. To watch it on TV for six minutes, it's great. Well, I would argue Dimitri Martin does a... Uh, excellent job. I saw him live and obviously it is an hour show or like his albums, the CDs I would listen to and right. they're all just clever one-liners, but it is, right. it's a, it's a, you know, an extended. And you enjoyed him for an Oh yeah. I enjoyed him for, well, cause also it, when you see him live using visual props, sometimes he doesn't always oh. do that, but he'll have um, a, like a giant notepad. And he'll yeah. be drawing something or doing something, uh, and it feels like interactive with the audience or whatever. But it works See, the way he does his format. It works. And, 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 and you know what? That's a lot different than standing there all by yourself and just doing one liners. So he he took he took what Stephen Wright did and he improved it. Actually, I would say. Yeah, and yeah, I, it's a different mix. I haven't yeah. seen him once. I mean, I haven't even, I've seen him once on TV, and I thought he was really clever and really good. And then I haven't seen him for a while. But I would, I would say to your point, just based on what you just described, that's really interesting to me that he would, because now he realizes he's in the theater, and he said, "Oh, I can't, I'll do this to dress it up a little bit," which is smart. Well, I mean, that's the the fun thing you see uh, every new generation of comics where you're like, oh, how did they evolve this? 
uh, idea, this concept, this act, this bit. Because you think like, oh, I've seen everything before. Everything's done before. But then somebody does something a little bit different. And something just, you know. It's funny you say that because on, like I do mostly cruise ships because there's more money in it. And I enjoy it. People make fun of cruise ships, but I think it's mostly guys that aren't funny enough to get on cruise ships because I'm telling you, the guys on the cruise ships, they're all really good. Yeah, they, I they're, love they're, cruise ships. Yeah, they're, they're really good. And they're all really good. And crowds, like I would say, because, you know, you have to have two 30-minute adult shows. You have to have one clean show that's 30 minutes and then another 15. So you literally have to have about 115 minutes of material, almost two hours. And uh, yet what they really like is like, uh, like I'll get up and, you know, a lot of times I'll do mostly my whole act, but even on those times when I do almost my whole act, there's five minutes in there where I'm riffing with people and they really like that on the cruise ships. And um, so even when I'm doing a repeat show, it's different than the one I did before. Mm. Because the audience just, you just don't know what they're going to do, you know, and there's riffing. And so now you're out on the high wire because you're talking to them and seeing what they're saying and then trying to come up with something. So um, it seems like your generation, uh, they like that. They like it when it's interactive and it's not just somebody telling joke after joke after joke. Uh, and that would go, I would say that would go to the whole TikTok, Gen Z, mm-hmm. millennial kind of thing uh, of just being in the moment. Is that what you've changed? Don't don't just give me give me you and give me something right now, you know. Yeah, have you done like uh, incorporated more uh, back and forth with the audience than you know in the past for your you know your absolutely. You know what happened by accident because I just got on last November. I'd been doing clubs forever, and I'd always done forty five minutes to an hour. Then when I got on the cruise ship. I'm still doing the same material, but now all of a sudden there's 30 minutes here, 30 minutes here, and 30 minutes over here. So all the jokes were in different places. So the first week and a half I was on the ship, I would get lost. I'd literally go blank up there because now the jokes in a different place and I forgot. So I have to come up with something really quick. I have to start talking to the audience and ripping, uh, which I was okay at doing that. But the first within the first two weeks after being on the ship, all of a sudden, that went from being pretty good to really good to where, like, literally, if I had to go up there without, they go, okay, you can't go up to your act tonight. I could go up there and kill for 30 minutes. Just start talking to me. How many people married? How long have you been married? Boom, boom, you know, say something. You know, where are you from? And then just go. Yeah, they love that. I'm sure they really <laughs> enjoyed that too. Yeah. Um, and, it's, and, it's a and it's a different animal than listening, like, you know, when you're doing jokes, you get in a rhythm and then they laugh from zero to 10 and at seven, you start the next joke, which is how you keep them laughing. But when you're riffing off somebody, <clears throat> now instead of listening to a rhythm, you have to listen to the person. It's, it's very similar to acting. And that's why a lot of camp comedians can't do it. You really have to listen to the person and not be in a hurry to try to get there, but listen to them because they will trap themselves if you just listen to them. 
Yeah, true. I, I was going to ask, what is your experience with improv? That's it. Oh, I, <laughs> I was yeah. wondering if you had any other, if that was like a little bit more no. fleshed out in the past, but that is, I mean, yeah, yeah. that is a, the improv. Yeah. It's all been just, it's all been trial and error on stage. Yeah. Okay, so I do want to pivot because uh, I want to hear about the stories of when you had where else I got point twice. Um, if we uh, uh, do run out of time on this Zoom, can I send you a new Zoom meeting or what is your? Yeah, we can do another one. Yeah. Okay. Course. Okay. Yeah. Cool. So uh, we're we're actually not pivoting because I was in Starkville, Mississippi. This is in the nineties. And I'm on stage in a place and it holds about 500 people. And I'm having a good show. And then uh, I made fun of the Ku Klux Klan. I do, I do this joke where I make fun of the Klan. I actually have three jokes in my act. About, I actually have probably three minutes to five minutes on racism where I make fun of racists and stuff. <clears throat> so I do this joke on the Klan and I say, uh, the, the joke is I say I was watching A&E, the History Channel, you know, and they were showing old films of the Ku Klux Klan. They're riding around on horses. And they're wearing their sheets. And I go, you ever notice a lot of times the horse is wearing the sheet? What's that about? It's like the horse is going, well, yeah, I can ride you around the neighborhood, but you got to disguise me too. I don't want anybody beating the shit out of me tomorrow. I'm just the driver in this bullshit. <laughs> so this guy in the front row lifts his shirt up, pulls out a gun, points it at me, and says, Bucker, move to another subject. So I look to the right to the bouncer. I look to the left. They don't move. And so I just look at the audience. I go, ladies and gentlemen, this concludes the racial portion of our show. Could I please have a new pair of shorts? And then they all laughed. And then I just finished the show. And that was it. Oh, my goodness. I mean, way to handle it under that pressure. You're nervous. No one did anything about the dude with the gun. And this was Mrs. What, what state? Mississippi. Oh, it was Mississippi. You said, and yeah. It's just, it's just different. It's just different over there. Different world. Oh my god. Different world. Yeah, that's the only explanation I have. Is that it is a. Di- I mean, obviously, as we know, with recent uh, events, our country is definitely uh, divided. Right. Yeah. Unusual time. I, or I guess we've been living an unusual time for for years, for a while. Um, yeah, the pandemic I mean, just cracked open a lot of stuff. Yeah, the last uh, couple of years have been really crazy. Yeah, I, I yeah. don't. I, you know, the, the racism is really hard for me because my first wife was uh, Latino. My this wife, uh, I'm married to, is uh, Filipina. I don't. You know, my wife I'm married to now, is always, she says, you know, you're right. Because I used to tell her when we first got married that I actually get along better with people of color than I do my own. And uh, she kind of thought that was, you know, I was full of it. But then the longer she's been with me, she was, oh, man, you're really right. Hmm. And, I, and I said, yeah, because like when I was playing basketball, uh, my black friends used to tell me I was a reverse Oreo. They said, you're, you're white on the outside, but you're all black on the inside. <laughs> Why, why, why do they say that? Why do you think that is that you get along I, with them? I don't know. I think it's just, um, I, this is just my personal opinion. I've just found the 
you know, when you, you know, from traveling all over the world, especially people of color, I don't know, because uh, this will sound racist towards white people, so I don't, I don't want to sound like that, but for me... I don't think there is racism towards white I, people. I, just, just <laughs> I feel like when I've met, when I meet people of color, there's more... The, the love seems a little more genuine. Mm. I think that maybe it's, I think with white people, there's a lot of, and maybe it's just, maybe it's just the United States. There's this thing about the individual, you know, and mm. you got to do it yourself. And you get into, um, with people of color cultures, there seems to be more of a group mentality. Maybe that's it. I don't know exactly. I but I, I just, you know, it's like weird because like my wife's family, you know, they're Filipinos. Most of them live over there. Uh, our daughter lives here, and I feel closer to them than I do my own family, which is crazy, you know, because they're not my blood other than my wife by marriage. But I feel closer to them than I do to my family. Yeah. I, it, I mean, I, I, I understand what you're saying. I understand what you mean. Uh, I, I, not only that, I feel like their family gets me more than my family. It, it, it may be a cultural thing. I mean, I'm, I come from a Middle Eastern family. We're Iranian, yeah. and it is definitely more family-oriented. There's that bond no. or the tightness. It is, there is something that's different. Yeah. Um, and my dad also, I mean, being an immigrant, he would um, have more friends of people of diversity. He would be closer with people or more relatable with people like that because maybe they also, uh, by the time he came in the 70s, he came to America, they were both bullied in the same way by right. certain white people. So they shared that in common and they kind of like protected each other. Okay, interesting first story. Um, the second one, is it even more intense or uh, was that also a stand-up comedy show? What's that? Say that again. The second story you were going to go oh, into yeah. about, I was curious if this was another stand-up comedy show. No, the, other or... in, the other one was in traffic uh, uh, and it ended up being a Persian guy that snapped and then he got out of his car and came up and pointed a gun at my car window. And I just kind of, you know, did this and then he cussed me out and then walked away. And where were you? Um, I was in downtown LA. Oh yeah. God, yeah, maybe you just, you have a, maybe you just have a very like gun welcoming face. Like people yeah, <laughs> so, like... And we should all, and, sh and shouldn't we all welcome guns? <laughs> oh boy. <laughs> you know, almost all of my friends that I know are gun owners, have registered guns in their house, you know, like pistols or something. But even they, the people I know, like, there's no reason we need any AKs, 15s out there at all. Yeah. Yeah. These, there's some stuff that is literally these overkill. People are so attached at the hip. To these lobbyists and and money that's coming into them, they they're not representing us anymore. Uh, the Supreme Court is you know overturning stuff left and right. You know, 
not just the abortion this week, they overturned. They, now when the police don't read you your rights, you can't sue them anymore. So that's what we've had that for since before even Roe versus Wade, that they had to read you your rights and let you know. Now, that you know, the bad cops are not going to be reading people their rights. And they're going to, you know, it's just... They we're going backwards in time. I, I don't it, understand. Those three judges, none of them, you can go four if you want to count Clarence the Clown Thomas, none of those guys are qualified to be sitting on that court. None of them. Yeah. Yet they're making. Yep. Yet they're making decisions about our lives. Yeah, it's not fun. <laughs> it's ridiculous. It's right. It yeah. I I mean, it, every generation has like been fighting for the. It's just, it just doesn't stop. I don't know. It's like an uphill battle constantly, and we're trying. And, 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 uh, let me let me let me share something else with you. I went to church. From the time I was uh, four till I left my house at 18, I went to Baptist, Lutheran, Bible churches, and my mom was married four times. All my dad's crazy stories, but we were always made to go to church. And I don't understand how I seem to have gotten all these messages. Mm. It doesn't seem hard to me. Oh, Jesus loves everybody. No, 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 it doesn't say Jesus loves seven out of ten people. He loves everybody. And that that's all you're really, if you get that, if you just get that concept, that God is the only one that could judge, and then Jesus and God love everybody, that's it. That's it in a nutshell. You don't need to know anything else. Just do that. And these, these dumbasses never got any of that. These guys that call themselves evangelicals and call themselves Christian, Jesus, if Jesus, if he, Jesus, if he was alive today, he would have gone into the Supreme Court and overturned those tables just like he did, you know, two thousand years ago. But other people just have. I don't know where they get their beliefs. They they just yeah. don't. It's they're not even on the same page as us. Like they're well, not. It's a difficult. You can't even have a conversation with them because they're well, in a different let's, world. Let's, let's let's take it Middle Eastern. I don't know what you are. It doesn't matter. But let's just say you're Muslim. Maybe you are. Maybe you are. It doesn't matter. I'm a Jew. Let's argue that let's say you are. You're Middle Eastern, right? Here's the thing. He said. Everybody's got a free will. Free will. One of the most important terms in the Bible. Yeah. Free will. Yeah. That means you got your 70 years down here to do whatever you want, good or bad. And only he, he in the next life can judge that. Mm. These people, for whatever reason, think because they go to church, now they're judge, jury, and executioner. Mm -hmm. That goes against everything Christ said. Yeah. So I don't know what lessons they got at 12 and 13 years old when they were going to church, but it's, 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 it's nothing to do with what's, you know, written in the New Testament. Yeah, I don't. And unfortunately, those are the ones who are going to keep reading. Those are the ones who are going to teach those ridiculous uh, thoughts, ideals, whatever to to their family. And it goes on and on. And uh, yeah, I don't understand it. I literally don't understand yeah. it.
Um, but which is why, though, we love turning to, I mean, people like you, people who can alleviate that, or people who like, oh my God, I need a laugh today. Like, oh my God, somebody who understands or somebody who can, somebody who can, I mean, you still talk about it. Like you're still, you, somebody who, who's not shying away from the tough, difficult conversations. I I did a joke. I did a joke last week. It was uh, on a cruise ship and it was out of Texas. So, Oh. And ninety percent of the people on the cruise were from Texas, uh-huh. so I did this joke because I do a lot of jokes about crime, but I, I haven't done any jokes about guns. But I got about two or three pages of new stuff, and I've been, God, do I take a chance of doing this? You know, so uh, I put the first one in last week, and I said, I go, you know, I know you're from Texas, Texas, they're big on guns, and I go, but folks, come on, in the last month. We've had a mass shooting at a hospital, a funeral, a church, a school, and a grocery store. And I said, who would have ever thought that the strip clubs and post office would be the safest places to be? <laughs> who would have thought? <laughs> right? Yeah, seriously. But that's not, it's not even a joke. Also, like, no. that's the thing where that's sad. How, how the fuck can you? not go to church and be sick and worse as crazy if you ever told people 20 years ago that there'd be shootings in churches they would have pulled you out of your mind and now people accept it like it's a normal thing and these jackasses these 50 jackasses in the senate won't do anything no one in their right mind wouldn't do something about that yeah when it gets to that point. Yeah. yeah I mean, also, I, yeah, people, everybody thinks uh, it's like every place is a target or people are target. Nobody feels safe. Nobody feels like it, it's also so tough for younger kids being like they, they growing up in a pandemic. Oh, my God. Their education is like right? socially. Then yeah, they you see and I this. Went to school and you'd be afraid of. Oh, I hope the bully doesn't pick on me or the kid when you're a freshman. I hope the seniors don't throw me in a trash can. That was the thing you worried about. And that was pretty scary if you're 12 years old and you're a little kid. Or if you're a fourth grader and the kid's an eighth grader and he's a big kid. That's scary. Yeah, exactly. Um, but now we're having really heavy conversations with kids about right. things that should just be adult topics for now that they shouldn't have to worry about like racism but they do they need like it's it's that's hard yeah now you gotta worry about you gotta worry about is this cop that's pulling me over uh you know is he a cop that signed up because he really wants to protect and serve or was his sat score not high enough so he get into college, be in a fraternity, and date rape women. So he decided, oh, you know what I really like to do? Carry a gun and bully the fuck out of people. Yeah. Especially people that aren't the same color as me. Yeah. Yeah, it's unfortunate. Yeah. And it's just like fear. It's just a ton of fear. And you have to question everything, though. You have to question everyone. Everything. Like, it's... Unfortunately... Um, it's not a fun world right now. Yeah. yeah. Um, uh, sorry, forgot the other. Oh, well, before I forget, sometimes I forget you have a challenge. Um, just asking if there's any more names you wanted to throw on the three name celebrities oh, on the list. Three. Well, 
what is there? There's um, actors, celebrities. Brian, there's an actor, Brian Taylor Green. What is that guy? Oh, gosh, I don't know. I don't know. I'll I, check on that. Yeah, I think so. Um, yeah, I don't know. No, that's, they're, they're, that's fine. This is a solid, I honestly probably wouldn't come up with that many. <laughs> so any number, uh, you know, is a good number. Um, oh, I believe, is he an uh, actor? I'm trying to see. Hmm. No, nothing comes up for Brian Taylor Green. Yes, oh. There are Brian Greens with other middle names. Other Brian Taylors uh, or Tyler's is act. Hmm. Well, I can't add that one. But it seems like a guy. There was a guy on Beverly Hills Nine Two One Zero that had three names, but now I can't think who it is. Brian Austin Green. Brian Austin Green is an actor. Nice. Oh, so there is one. Yep. That's the one I was thinking of. Yes, I think he's it. married to the girl that used to be on Saved by the Bell. Oh, Tiff, Tiffany Thorson or something, or oh yeah, was she Kelly uh, Kelly Kapowski? Maybe that's it. Yeah, yeah. Wow. <laughs> nice. So you guys, we're pulling. We're <laughs> we're oh, pulling in the ditch. Pulling shit out. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right. Well, you got three on the list. Um, uh, was there anything? Oh, also, uh, let us know uh, things that you have coming up, things that you want to plug oh, or handles or uh, shows or where people can find you. Yeah, I'm going on. I'm going on Vista, which is out of Galveston, Saturday for two weeks. Then I'm going to the Middle East. Nice. Uh, cool. In August, I'm going to Jordan, Kuwait, and Saudi. Wow, that's and exciting! In, I'll be in, I'll be up in Oregon and Washington doing casinos in uh, September. And then I'm back on Vista in October. That's a fun lineup. That's fun. That's exciting. Uh, I'm, supposed to be doing, I'm supposed to be doing two days on a movie in two weeks when I get back. But I'm not sure. I'm still waiting for them to send me some whatever. Do you but, do you have a little, like it's changed as far as your, uh, what you wanted or doing more of, whether it be stand up uh acting or directing is there something you want to you're branching more into you know, it's funny because when i did this pilot in 2015 and directed i really liked directing and the guys wouldn't you know i had some of my friends that are pretty big comics on my show and they said it was the easiest set they'd ever been on so that was kind of because i kept trying to find a director for my show and then this friend of mine, Paul Dudridge, who used to be the second biggest comedy agent in England, and now he lives here, he does consulting, and he's directed a couple of movies. He said, well, why don't you just direct it? And I kind of looked at him, I like, really? And he goes, yeah, you got good taste. So then I come home, and then my daughter, the, the Berkeley girl, is really smart. She goes, who's seen more movies than you? Because, like, I'll watch a movie like, yeah, like Goodwill Hunting, I've probably seen 50 times. Uh. Like, if I like a movie, I'll watch it over and over just to study it, you know, and stuff. So I said, okay. And then I did it. So, and then it was like, it was kind of like the Kung Fu thing. You find out, oh, I can do this, you know. Uh, 
What were some of the uh, challenges for doing that? And I mean, that's um, nice to hear because people probably you know thought what? you were very at ease on set. That's a great. That's a great question because the first thing is uh, how tiring because mm. every day is 14 hours yeah. you, you never get to bed before midnight you're up at 5 and that's every day and it's like you have to have all the answers and it's you know what it is it's high class babysitting because um, I've never heard it described that way <laughs> that's, that's what it is because your job is to keep everybody on the set happy and focused and ready to go and put them at ease so they can do their job and actors you know you know that you don't want you don't want them in your head like i would do some like two of the guys rick overton he was one of the little guys in a movie called willow about 20 years ago he's a very famous comic he was on the show and he was making fun of me with his other comics i don't say action i would just say uh because Clint Eastwood does this. I got this from Clint Eastwood. I really liked it. Because when you say action, it's like you're saying, okay, now act. Yeah, yeah. But what he would do is, okay, the camera's running now. So whenever you're ready, you guys can go. Oh, so, hmm. and he said the reason he learned that is when he was doing Rawhide before he started, you know, doing movies. He was doing that Western in the 60s. And so whenever they say action, the horses would run away, it would scare the horses. And he thought to himself, why would you say action loudly and scare an actor? And then there was this actor, I don't know if you've seen the Godfather movies. Yeah, uh, yeah, of course. So, yeah, totally. But the guy that plays uh, Fredo, who's a really famous, I, I always forget his name, but he's a very famous actor. He, he's been in five of the biggest movies of all time. He was in Deer Hunter, both Godfathers. And two other really big, oh, he was in Dog Day Afternoon. There's one more, I can't remember what it was. But he ended up, he was supposed to get married to Meryl Streep. And then he died of cancer at like 40 years old. But he would do John this thing. Cazal? Cazale? I forgot. Yeah, uh, Cazale. That's how you pronounce his name? Yeah. His thing was, he would sit there. And the other actors thought it was weird at first. And then they liked it. When they would say action, he would continue talking about whatever he was talking about. Like you and me are talking about this right now. And then somebody says action, but I just continue talking to you. And then I just go over to this. And so that way he never had to go, oh, action, now I'm acting. It was just, I'm talking about this, now I'm talking about that. Like, you know, I'm talking to you about this, but, you know, uh, it's like a smoother transition yeah, or like, easier like, way to switch like, on and off. Like, like I'll give you an example. Like in the 80s, you know, I was living in Boston. I went out with this friend of mine uh, in my silver Buick, right? And we went out to Provincetown to drink in this bar all night, right? And uh, But we didn't want to drive back drunk. So we get this guy, Stevie, who's like 18 years old. You know, he's over in the corner playing the pool. And we give him 20 bucks. Okay, we're, we're, if we pass out, you're going to drive us back tomorrow. So, of course, we get up in the morning. I go to the car. Stevie's passed out in the backseat of the car, right? So now I'm driving my car. It's eating snow in December in Boston. I'm drunk as shit. I wrap my car around a pole. And then I get out of the car, walk home, and go to sleep. And they call me like and later on that morning. Hey, there's a car wrapped around this pole. you got to come out with because I was a tow truck driver, right? So I had to go out and drag my own car out of there. Okay, what I just did is from a play by Mammoth. Yeah, that's yeah. a mammoth. Mm -hmm. Now, did, could you tell the difference between 
me just doing that and me just talking to you before I was talking. Yeah, exactly. No, it was very, <laughs> yeah, that was so smooth. Yeah. That, which is, which is great because every yeah. actor has a different process, but for yeah. them not to be like, you. so if it should be, you don't want them to, if, if you're acting, don't let them catch you acting. I, yeah, um, I love that. That's exactly. Yeah. Uh, uh, so sorry. Other question that, um, (laughs) forgot to ask. I wanted to know, where did you grow up? Portland. Ah, okay. Yeah. So how was, how was your childhood? How was that? And then, and then you, like I said, so my first dad got my mom pregnant and left her like, uh, at six months. So I've never seen my real dad. Then she married my second dad, and he adopted me at two. They got divorced when I was 10. My third dad, what they used to call, what they call bipolar now, they used to call manic depressive. Mm. She had him put in the place where they shot that movie, Cuckoo's Nest. He was actually in there for a while. Wow. And then he got out, and then he just wouldn't stay on his meds. You know, when he was on his meds, he was fine, but then he'd get off his meds, and then, you know, manic. They used to call it manic depression before they... Then they renamed it bipolar. So my mom and him separated for a while. So my mom wanted to go over and check on because she hadn't heard from him for a while. So I go over to his apartment and he had taken an overdose of sleeping pills, but he was naked. And like, I guess like, I didn't know this, but like when you die and then you've been there for a while and they haven't found you, your blood corpuscles like explode. So you'll look like somebody... You know, if you beat somebody to death and have you mean like blue? Yeah, so mm-hmm. that's what they found him. Like apparently, after he killed himself, I found him a week later. And I'm sorry, like, you I, found him? I found him. I was like 14. Oh my gosh! So then my mom marries my third dad when I was 16, and he fought in World War II, and he was on the the Houston, which the famous ship is the Indianapolis. That's the one they always talk about in the movie Jaws, the one that was sunk. And then he was in the ocean, in the movies, in the ocean with the sharks for three days. Well, my dad was on the ship called the Houston, which was also sunk. And he was in the water for three days uh, watching his friends get eaten by sharks. And he had gangrene in his leg, but then he talked the doctors out of amputating it. Somehow they saved the leg. But the rest of his life, he never took a bath, shower, I mean a bath, or got in the lake or an ocean. He would only take showers. So, but we didn't find out till he was 84 that he had PTSD. I always joke, we just thought he was Italian. Oh. <laughs> we just thought his temper was because he was Italian. Oh my God. But he actually had PTSD. Oh jeez. So, that's where, so, you know, obviously if you're raised in that environment then you only have one place to go and that's comedy. Yeah, uh, yeah. I was, did you did you ever uh, try to find your birth father, or did you? Yeah, I actually did. But then my his parents, who you, it was crazy. They used to always send me a birthday present and a Christmas present. And then one Christmas, I didn't write the thank you card, and then I never heard from them again. And then when I tried to find them, they were gone. Wow. So that was it. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, but that's a very interesting upbringing. Yeah, so that, that kind of leaves a little bit of a void. So it was good when my wife came along this one because she's like very loving, empathetic, and kind. So I kind of always tell her 
whatever I missed before, I, I'm making up for it now, you know? Mm. Yeah. Because yeah. it's like when you get with them, you know, when you get with the right person or you're ready or you want to make a change because you've been in all these toxic relationships, and then you get the right person, that it's really crazy because you go, oh, this is what it's supposed to be. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Oh, this is right. the the calming to have the stability. It's not supposed to be the wreaking havoc or chaos or yeah, man. Yeah. Like, I could never go back to that. Well, yeah. good, good. Not a million. It's, it's something that much for better than happened in my life. No, I can never go back to toxic. Well, we're very happy that you're not there. <laughs> it's very good that you uh, yeah. you're in a and much healthier situation. It's not fun. Yeah, nobody wants no. to be used and abused. Yeah, no, that's. <laughs> Well, this was super fun. Uh, this was amazing. This was great. Thank you so much for sharing your stories and uh, your time uh, and your talent. Um, uh, everybody who uh, was listening, uh, please stay tuned for more stuff from Late Night Hump LNH Studios. Just go to our website. We have videos and um, you know, I, stuff coming up. Can I give my website? My Absolutely. Plug away. So they can they can follow me on Instagram at Keith Ross Nelson and Keith is K E I T H R O S S N E L S O N and then my website is keithnelson.org. Well, there you go, there you go, folks. Uh, I'm thank sorry. you. I'm sorry, keithrossnelson.org. Man, I'm like. Yeah, the three names people don't forget the three yeah. names yeah, <laughs> thank you it. again I, I want them to remember but yet i forget <laughs> yeah they'll remember for you yeah, um totally. thank you keith so hey, much for being for on the on. show thanks for wearing the irish shirt today i'm irish so i love the irish <laughs> yeah <laughs> brendan representing yeah brendan representing. <laughs> and brendan don't talk so much next time <laughs> <laughs> Sorry if I demand if I command no, the conversation. You know I'm the only you know woman what? in the I group. Just, I totally just realized I did too. And Brenda's so cool. He's just sitting over there chilling. Oh, but we know we know we just like we just love listening to the guests. Like we know if you guys go off on a story, do it like the the floor is yours. Um, yeah. yeah, I I mean. So, uh, you. yeah, thank you. Uh, have a great uh, rest of your night. Yeah, you too.